RC Top 3, a weekly podcast of the top three stories from Regnum Christi. The Path to Joy, a new book to help us navigate the stages of faith. Tom Clement's spiritual journey has been a circuitous one, with a few speed bumps and detours along the way. As a cradle Catholic, he went from being an altar boy and daily communicant to spending several years searching for joy and fulfillment in a non-denominational faith. Not finding the fulfillment he was seeking, Tom returned to the Catholic Church, where he has spent decades deepening his faith and his relationship with God. Having experienced his own winding journey of faith, Tom has recently written a book called The Path to Joy, Navigating the Stages of Faith. This newly published book maps the faith journey in clear and practical steps from stage one, I believe in God, to the ultimate stage, union with God. Along the way, Tom provides humor and examples of his own successes and setbacks throughout his own walk to joy. Tom was inspired not only from his own faith journey, but by his career in software. Tom started one of the first internet companies in the United States, selling it in 1999, and it is this experience and expertise in problem-solving and processing that he brings to the path of joy. I think our world today is interested in process. You can watch a YouTube video on how to fix something. You can do a Google search to understand how a machine works, or how to get from point A to point B, says Tom. I'm process-oriented, and sometimes when I read the mystics, they were too mystical. My intent in writing this book was to provide a plan and a process to understanding our faith continuum and how to grow in faith. This process-oriented approach was particularly helpful to Tom, not only in examining his own faith journey, but also when inviting others to encounter Christ. I knew you were supposed to meet people where they're at, but how do we know where they are? I needed to find out where people were on their journey so that when they asked questions, I could appropriately respond. The book offers answers to both questions. What are the stages that I have taken in my faith journey, and where do I go next? And how do I work with others to help them grow closer to Christ? In writing The Path to Joy, Tom wanted to help people to understand where they, and others they may encounter, are in their faith process in a way that is easy to read and easy to understand. Reflection questions at the end of each chapter. Are you searching to know God better? Are you fearful about what others think about you? Do you admit when you were wrong? Help readers process the information on complex spiritual matters in a simple, personal, and practical way. One of the main themes of Tom's book is the virtue of joy through gratitude. Tom has spent much of his life seeking satisfaction in achievement and success, but it wasn't until he turned to God in humble gratitude that he finally found the joy and fulfillment he had been seeking. In the first stage of the book's journey, Tom invites readers to list 100 things for which they are grateful and examine what they have personally done to deserve those 100 things, how those gifts have allowed them to realize some success, and to whom do they feel truly grateful, and he returns to this theme of joy through gratitude throughout the book. Since Tom sold his software company in 1999, he has been busy. He started Southern Catholic College, the first Catholic college in Georgia, in 2001. He spearheaded the founding and construction of a residential Catholic high school in Ghana with his wife. And he has spent the last 20 years of his life in nonprofits, including serving on the advisory board for Regnum Christi. But for Tom, his greatest accomplishment is bringing joy and Christ to the people he encounters every day. What God has called me to do right now is to be Christ to the person in front of me, to be a joyful person, to see the good in others, 
to encourage others and have them feel some of that joy, says Tom. If this book just touches one person, changes one person, what a gift that would be. Tom is a member of the Atlanta Regnum Christi section. He currently serves on the advisory board for the Consecrated Women of Regnum Christi and is chairman of the Board for Catholic Worldview Fellowship, an apostolate directed by Father Ryan Richardson, L.C. To find out more about Tom's book, The Path to Joy, Navigating the Stages of Faith, and his practical and process-oriented approach to the spiritual life, visit his website at thepath2joy.com or purchase the book on Amazon. To contact Tom for more information or to book him as a speaker for your event, email tom.thepath2joy at gmail.com. Living Your Best Life in Advent December 8, 2021 On Saturday, December 4th, 63 Regnum Christi women and friends gathered at the Church of the Holy Spirit in Stamford for the first in-person Advent retreat in two years. It was so lovely to be reunited with old friends and new ones. Father Eric presented two beautiful reflections with prayer time and the opportunity for confession in between, followed by Mass. Father began talking about Mary's yes. Her full cooperation with the divine will of God divides all of time. There was the before and after of her perfect fiat. How do we imitate Mary and say yes to the will of our Lord during this special time of Advent? We can look to Mary for tips. How did she spend her time preparing for the coming of our Lord? Did she fight the crowds at the mall on Black Friday? Did she fret over every last Christmas decoration? Probably not. Instead, Mary left for a long journey to her cousin, Elizabeth, to take care of her in her final months of pregnancy. She served others. She worked. She prayed. Her instinct was to love her neighbor. Mary was able to make time and space for God and others, to lift her mind and heart to Him, even when she had so much to deal with in her own life. Father asked us to reflect on the Holy Family in the second reflection. For the majority of Jesus' life, they lived an ordinary existence. Yet, by trusting God and living in the moment, it was extraordinary. Mary and Joseph received, in faith, whatever God was giving them in the moment and made the best out of their situation. God threw them many curveballs, but they remained docile and did not get caught up in inconsequential things. They stayed calm, prayed, and listened to His prompts. We, too, need to thank God for what He allows to unfold in our lives. Take whatever comes to us from His hands as a gift of love and work with it. Here are some tips on how to live this moment of Advent. Don't do too much. Stick to your commitments and do them well. Turn work into prayer. Dedicate your work moments to others. Do work well, humbly, with apostolic intentions. This is my gift to you, God. Remember, it's not about you or your expectations. Do hidden acts of kindness. Make yourself a gift to others. Cut out the noise. Have a shopping deadline. Meditate on the Holy Family. Before Christmas, get to the Sacrament of Confession frequent Mass, and go to adoration. God asks us to be docile. We have to make space so God can move us. He is trying to speak to us all day. He wants to teach us how to live moment by moment. As we receive Him in the Eucharist, 
let's reflect on how Mary received Jesus into her womb. We allow Jesus into our body and our heart. And then we share our heart with him. Lessons from the Workshop of St. Joseph by Father Daniel Brandenburg, L.C. Part 15, Ending the Journey Missing Moments My dad's dedication in his welding shop, working to provide for our family, often came into conflict with other desirable goals. Though at the time I didn't understand, reflecting back on dad's decision not to be at all my plays, concerts, or games has taught me an important lesson on resolving conflicting priorities. His absence was not because he failed to love me, but because there were ways he was loving me beyond my capacity at the time to perceive it. He was loving, but he was also limited. Mature love entails accepting the limitations of reality and of one's own humanity. Each choice we make necessitates the elimination of other options. Life is not a series of endless possibilities. After the episode in Jerusalem, St. Joseph's musings might have resolved around a similar train of thought. He, too, was limited, and as Jesus was growing in wisdom and strength, his own was waning. Joseph must have felt something like St. John the Baptist. He must increase, but I must decrease. Yet this also occasioned a deep fear. If he left the scene, how would Mary and Jesus fare without him? Will they be okay without me? Of all the fourteen stations of St. Joseph, this is the only one lacking a direct reference in the Gospels. It is a station of inference, rooted in what comes before and after, and handed down in Christian tradition. There is no scriptural passage that relates the end of Joseph's life. He simply slips from the scene after Jesus comes of age in the temple at twelve. Did he die soon after that, or years further along? Did an accident, disease, or natural causes take him? No authoritative source exists to answer these questions, but undoubtedly he was gone before the end of Jesus' life, because our Lord entrusted Mary to John at the foot of the cross. Though there are many unknowns, we can postulate the question heavy on Joseph's heart as he neared the end. How will they do without me? This thought crosses the mind of nearly every man who leaves behind dependence. What impact will his failure to be there for them have? Yet somehow after the truncating effects of death, life moves on. The world finds a way to proceed without us. Joseph's goodbyes to Mary and Jesus meet with a reassuring squeeze of the hand. And Jesus raised his eyes to heaven and said, Father, they are your gift to me. I wish that where I am, they also may be with me. Why Death Incites Fear Why do we dread death? If we examine this fear, present in every culture, in every age, we find that the universal human experience of angst meeting death stems from four primary sources. 1. Uncertainty about what comes after death. 2. Dread of the pain associated with passing. 3. Concern for the pain of loved ones who remain. And 4. Regret for unfinished business. Every major world religion developed resources for better handling this passage and for honoring the dead, though for those with no religion, a growing portion of modern society, they faced this crucial passage alone and left to their own ingenuity. No wonder our world fears death and attempts to hide its inevitability from consciousness. How is the experience of death different for a Christian? We die, just like everyone else. Does faith make any difference? 
1. Uncertainty To address the first source of fear, there are three types of certainty that undermine it and inspire confidence. The weakest stems from the crowd. There is safety in numbers, and if everyone else does what I do, thinks what I think, and reacts as I react, I can't be too far off the mark. Everything from fashion trends to scientific consensus allow this model of certainty. A second form of certainty stems from first-hand experience. If I saw a car run a red light and strike a cyclist, I could relate that certitude in the police report because I was a witness and saw it with my own eyes. A person's preference for ice cream flavor derives from their experience of taste, just as their experience of cutthroat capitalism or unjust socialism will affect their adoption of political preferences. First-hand experience is difficult to shake, and it is a powerful source of certainty. Most powerful, though, is the certainty derived from relationships of trust and love. When a toddler trusts his mother, her caresses can calm the panic incited by peals of thunder and flashes of lightning in a storm. When a fiancé adores his girlfriend, he moves to excess and sometimes irrational behavior to win her esteem or prove his devotion, even against the certainties of the first two types. Faith fits into this third type of trust. Faith is not seen, but rather the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. This certainty derives from that relationship of trust in God. Because He has proven trustworthy, and because He is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-loving, I can trust in Him with all my being. God can conquer any storm. For a Christian, the uncertainty surrounding death is mitigated somewhat by the first type of certainty, because they are part of a church of other believers who support them in prayer and belief. The second form, too, is accessible through the first-hand experiences of others who preceded them in death and the difference faith made. Most importantly, though, their confidence comes from relationship with God. It is Jesus' promise that assuages fear. When I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Christian faith gives us a window into what comes after death. Faith makes all the difference in facing the end of life by stripping it of uncertainty. Without faith, there is only terror and despair. Even with it, though, the other three sources of fear can still remain. Pain, loved ones left, and regrets. How does our Catholic faith deal with those fears? What can St. Joseph's demise teach us about overcoming dread of death? 2. Pain In the face of pain, especially chronic or debilitating, the mightiest men can blanch. During a low point of my cancer treatments, after months of chemo, dialysis, hospital visits, horrific back pains, and no prospect of improvement or cure, I understood firsthand how the outlet of suicide can become a serious temptation. Pain obscures hope. It dims reason and inspires despair. Even the greatest of the Old Testament prophets prayed for death in a moment of darkness. We do not know how St. Joseph died, but like most men, he experienced pain. Like all humans, St. Joseph also experienced what relieves pain, beyond the palliatives that medicine can offer, presence and purpose. If loved ones are present, pain becomes more tolerable, and both Mary and Jesus were by his side. I will not leave you desolate. I will come to you. Jesus was present for Joseph, and he also offered a sense of purpose through the words St. Paul would later write. 
Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I complete what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. This bold statement is mind-boggling. How can something be lacking in Christ's passion? What could my puny sufferings possibly contribute? How can we actually rejoice in suffering? This simple passage opens a powerful window into redemptive suffering and into the purpose of life's difficulties. In some mysterious way, God brings good out of suffering and even chose it for His Son. We can endure anything as long as we have a why. Once we realize that our suffering can benefit others when we offer it up, it no longer has the power to cause fear or despair. Christ gives us not only the why, but also the how, loving presence and purpose. For more resources, visit www.regnumchristi.org or download the Regnum Christi English app today.